You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Amen. Paula was alone. She had been a widow for over a decade, and her marriage of 50 years had come to an end with her, with her husband's cancer. Her mind could fly quickly over those years in which her house was full of life and children and visits from relatives and vacations, but the years since her husband died, well, they seemed to stretch out like an ocean, silent and vast. Since he had died, there had been a hole in her world, a hole that her friends, her grandchildren, her children, as loved as they were, they never really seemed to fill it. Her heart was hungry, and she missed her best friend. Maurice was ashamed. He could see his son melting into tears again and again as he he replayed the scene in his mind and and he heard his own words. He hadn't meant to speak so spitefully and so meanly, but he had. And his shame mixed with despair because he, he knew why. It had been how his father had spoken to him. It had been how he grew up, expecting to be belittled, expecting to be excoriated, always cringing in his father's presence. No matter how much he resolved himself not to be that way, there was no denying that this was a regular occurrence, as if anger and spite were his default response to his children's behavior. His son's misdeeds, no matter how trivial, seemed to tap a deep nerve, a hole in his heart that no amount of resolve or remorse ever seemed to fill. Maurice thirsted for kindness that he had not known and he wished he wasn't just like his dad. Raymond was angry. It had all been so unfair. His ex-wife had taken everything. He knew he hadn't been the perfect husband and that he had his own share of responsibility for the way their marriage grew apart. But none of that justified the affair, the divorce. It didn't justify the custody battle or the outright lies that she told everyone about him, ruining his reputation and robbing him of his friends. But the fact of the matter was, is that he couldn't afford the same kind of lawyer that her new husband made possible. And no one seemed inclined to believe him. And so now he only saw his kids every other weekend. And child support support payments were crippling him. And his kids seemed to blame him for all of it. He couldn't stop thinking about how if, if everyone just knew the truth, if the truth mattered at all, then things wouldn't be like this. There wouldn't be this hole in his heart that constantly thirsted for vindication. Shauna didn't know how to feel. She looked down at her mother's grave, wondering why she had returned again. Her mother was gone. Her mother didn't exist anymore. Shauna didn't believe in God, nor in the idea of resurrection, nor any of those myths to which her mother had so firmly clung. And so it seemed like a strange thing to be drawn back to her mother's grave day after day, as if her mother was actually there. She missed her mother, of course. But more than that, she knew that she was really haunted by the feeling that her mother's life didn't mean anything. That all her work, that all her service, her strength of character, her unique joy and simple things, that all that was gone with her death, a memory soon to be forgotten, no more significant than the life of a fly. Shauna felt a hole in the bottom of her universe, a hole that stretched every time she remembered that her mother was no more than a few neurons firing in her brain. She wanted to believe that there was a God. She wanted to believe that her mother mattered. She hungered for a reason to hope. 
And Whitney, Whitney had no words. She simply stared in disbelief at the headline, acquittal on, our, on all charges. It had been a year since her son was killed at a traffic stop, and she couldn't wrap her mind around it. She kept repeating to herself the basic facts. Her son had no gun. He had no drugs. He had committed no crime, but he was dead. And no one was guilty. No one was responsible. No one was at fault. How could this be? The loss of her son had torn a hole in her heart, a hole that devoured every happiness she had felt since. And she had hoped that, that at the trial, justice would be done and would somehow fill that hole. But now it seemed she would remain forever hungry. Reuben felt thirsty as he watched the priests enter the temple gate, carrying a large golden flagon of water. It was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, his favorite feast of the year. It was so joyful and festive. After the hard work of a harvest, everyone journeyed to Jerusalem to build a camp, to build and camp out in, the, in huts for a week and celebrate the end of the year. Reuben's family always built their hut outside the city and journeyed in each day to participate in the festivities. And, and he loved walking the streets of old Jerusalem, seeing all the huts of the, the city folk would build, build on their roofs, watching the priests lead the procession from the pool of Siloam back to the temple, bringing water for the morning sacrifice. It was such a festive, joyful occasion. And today was the last day of the feast. And he watched as the priest's procession neared the altar. And three trumpet blasts split the air, and a choir began chanting the Hallel Psalms. The procession continued to circle the altar as the choir continued to sing. Excitement grew until they reached their final psalm, and then the entire crowd erupted into praise, raising branches and fruit in the air and crying out, Give thanks to the Lord! Give thanks to the Lord! Give thanks to the Lord! And the priests began to pour out the water onto the altar as a morning sacrifice. It was an amazing moment, a moment of joy, of thanks, of expectation. Reuben's father had, had explained to him again and again how, how they were remembering the Lord's provision of water from the rock in the desert as their ancestors journeyed from Egypt. They were also giving thanks for the rains of the year and the crops that had been provided. But most of all, and, and Reuben's father was particularly insistent on this part, they were looking forward to the day of the Lord. They were looking forward to the day when God would restore the city of Jerusalem. And, and Ezekiel promised that a spring of water would flow out of the temple, out of the altar. And it would flow down from the city and it would swell into a river. Running down and giving life to everything it touches, it would turn the dead salt sea into fresh water. It would sprout trees on its banks in the desert, trees that would bear fruit all year long. And their fruit would heal people. Jerusalem would be the, the course the cause, the source of God's life for all. But in the midst of all this celebration, and in the midst of all these hopes, Reuben's mind felt troubled. He watched the water flow down over the altar and the stones in the pavement of the temple courtyard, and he thought of the hard year, the dry summer, the low yield from the crops. And he felt a pang of anger and despair in his stomach when he remembered that the Roman taxes hadn't even been collected yet. So it would be another hard winter, and he would be hungry again. The hole in his stomach, it never really went away. And then again, he was used to being hungry and thirsty, so he knew what this felt like. But just then, Reuben felt a little wetness between his toes, and he looked down to see that a trickle of water had made its way through the pavement stones to his feet. And as he looked down, 
he heard a voice cry out from across the temple courtyard. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as it is written, from his heart will flow rivers of living water. Sisters and brothers, this, our world, is thirsty. It hungers in so many ways. We all yearn for companionship, for peace, for hope, for truth, for justice, for love. There is a hole in the bottom of our being, a hole that was never meant to be. We were made for God, to know God, to enjoy God, to have our creator in our midst, ruling and guiding us according to his just and loving and life-giving will. But we banished him. We ripped out our own umbilical cords in the hopes of becoming our own sources of life. And ever since, we have been dying. Starving for the love we had from God. Devouring tapeworms of money and power and sex. We crave companionship that God made us to enjoy with one another, but we wind up biting and devouring one another. And our world runs on this madness. The powerful oppress the vulnerable. And the vulnerable rise up to respond with violence and destruction. The wealthy gorge themselves while the hungry starve. Those who've been hurt try to numb their pain by hurting others, passing their hunger down to the next generation. And in the midst of it all, Jesus stands and says, Anyone who thirsts, come to me. He doesn't call the full. He doesn't call the satisfied. He doesn't call the virtuous, the intelligent, the pious, or the powerful. He does not invite anyone who intends to bring him anything but their hunger and thirst. He has no interest in those who refuse to know their emptiness. He has no interest in those who have found in themselves a home, a current, to find themselves at home in, this, in the current ways of this world. He came to cast down the mighty from their thrones and exalt the lowly, to fill the hungry with good things and send away the rich empty. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And to these sinners, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he makes two promises. Both of them look forward to the things he, are, he is about to accomplish. First, he promises to quench the thirst of those who come to him. And this, John tells us, points us forward to Jesus' glorification. When he is lifted up and he draws all people to himself, to come to Jesus is to meet Jesus at the cross, to believe in him. He summons the thirsty to the cross to meet the God for which they yearn. To see the word made flesh, the God who created them. To see that God hanging from a cross, calling out in pain, I thirst. See, Jesus summons them to see the glory of God in the water and blood that flow from the hole pierced in his side. And to trust that there, in this crucified Messiah, they find the God for whom they hunger and thirst. Through faith in him, Jesus says, their bellies are filled with the flesh of God. And they are given a drink of water that will quench their thirst forever. But this is only the first part of Jesus' promise. The second is this. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The thirsty are not merely satisfied. They are made springs of water. The hungry are not merely filled. They bear fruit. John tells us that Jesus is pointing forward to another of event, the giving of the Spirit, 
the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is sent by the risen and ascended Jesus to fill the hearts of his faithful and kindle in them the fire of his love, making them agents of his grace. This is the work of Pentecost. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in you doing Jesus' work through you. God's reign enacts his mission through his people. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, the church becomes what he made it to be, a spring of living water. And here's the thing. These thirsts, these holes in our being that each of us feel in our own way, these places of, that we felt the absence of God most acutely, these are the cracks through which the water of the Spirit will flow. The wound is where the light shines through. The Spirit takes the brazen pride of Peter, which collapsed into utter denial on the night of Jesus' trial, and turns it into humble confidence to proclaim Jesus risen before the Sanhedrin on the threat of death. The Spirit took the Samaritan woman at the well, whose marital failures had made her the talk of the town, and he turned her into a witness that drew her entire town out to meet Jesus. And John tells us, many people from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman, her testimony. The Spirit takes Saul, whose murderous persecution of the gospel inflicted so much suffering, and it turns him into Paul, the one who suffers hunger and thirst, shipwreck and storm, persecution and imprisonment, and ultimately death for the sake of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. For this Jesus, this crucified God, who thirsted for the salvation of the world, his power is made perfect in weakness. He fills the hole at the center of our being, through the hole in his own side. Jesus promises that when you come to him in faith and you bring your emptiness to him, you bring your hunger and thirst to him, that he will give you himself, the bread of heaven. He will give you his grace, the water that will quench this thirst forever. And he will also give you his spirit who will work through you, through your weaknesses, to bring the waters of his grace and his love to others to turn you into the new Jerusalem and to make you a spring of living water that will flow out and water the whole earth. That's what the church spirit is doing right now, not just through the individuals who are Christians, but through the whole church as a community. He's not merely forgiving our sins or quenching our thirst, although he is certainly doing that. He is making us as a community a well, a well of life-giving water. He is saying through us to the world around us, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to us and drink. That's where the Spirit leads the church. That's where he leads us, to the thirsty and the hungry, to weep with those who weep, to serve the widows and the orphans, to be a voice for the voiceless, to be a voice of peace in the midst of violence and despair, to be a voice of hope amidst chaos. Isaiah sums this up in a beautiful passage in 58 as he describes the redeemed community. And this is what he says. He says what the Spirit will do to take the yoke away from our midst, to take away the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, to pour out ourselves for the hungry and satisfy the yearning of the afflicted. Jesus tells us to go out into the streets and invite any and all to the Master's feast, to be a spring of water, to make us a spring of water for a world which burns with an unquenchable thirst for God, and to be in our fellowship with one another, in our love and justice and truthfulness with one another, a foretaste of the feast of God that will never end. This is the good news of Pentecost. This is the hunger for which we all have, 
And this is the work of Jesus through the power of his spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.